0: All right, so uh, Romans chapter six, and I'm going to read that passage again, starting in verse 15, uh, simply because it builds all to one particular point of view. Uh, this is this is Paul giving uh, his instruction to uh, these believers in Rome of various backgrounds. Various understandings. Some may just have been saved. They've, you know, by the time Paul gets this letter, uh, there's people that are going to be saved in between because it's going to take it three years <laughs> to get to them. It's going to take him three years to get there. But um, so by the time he gets there, the church may be much bigger, and there'll be uh, many more people in the church. But he wants to answer questions, and. That's the way it is in a lot of Paul's letters. Uh, Sometimes you have to read the letter, and it's kind of like the Jeopardy game. You know, here's the answer. So what's the question? And you have to kind of back up sometimes from reading what Paul is saying to get to the root of why did he give us that answer? Why is he saying what he's saying? So obviously, there is an issue with Judaism. Uh, legalism that's there, but as I said uh, all along, there's also many who've come from Gentile circles who've never, never heard the law, never had any idea what the law was about. And so Paul needs to help them understand too. Some that uh, have been instructed through people as far back as Priscilla and Aquila, who have been in Rome we don't know how long, but they were actually in the gospel before Paul was. And so they're there in in Rome, and they're teaching people, and some of the other apostles have possibly been through there. But as far as we know, uh, no one had really spent time building this church. And so Paul wants to answer a myriad of questions, and in doing so, declare what the gospel really is. I have no idea, you know, we were talking with some the other day, and, you know, did Paul know when he started this letter where he was going? Did, I mean, as far as the end of the letter, did did he know all the stuff he was going to say? No, I don't think so, because he was writing by the inspiration of God. Even though he had some things in his mind, he's writing by inspiration. This isn't just a man's letter that he sat down, made an outline, and then filled it all in, which a lot of times that's the way I make my my lessons i I build an outline and then I take the individual points and then I build the scriptures that go around those, and so that 's often how I do, but I't paul didn't do that he 's writing by the inspiration of God, and he 's saying things to them that God wants them to know and Paul is aware of that, but he's not yet at the place where paul is is saying that he's writing scripture. He knows that he's writing things authoritatively. It says that in 1 Corinthians. He says, you can disagree with me, but you're disagreeing with God. Okay, well, that's pretty bold. (laughs) So so he says that there are things that uh, that he knows that he's writing that are from God. And so in this context, he comes to chapter 6. He's been talking about uh, this salvation that is ours, a lot of what he's gone through up until this point has involved Judaism and the issue of legalism and the issue of righteousness by the law. But then, as I was saying last week, he makes a transition here in chapter 6 to really stop talking about the law and start talking about slavery. And so he uses this idea of slavery to communicate something that the Gentiles will understand more. Than just the Jews would. So let's read again, beginning in verse 15. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Paul says, What then are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Verse 17, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient, from the heart to the standard of teachings to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. But now that you have been set free from sin, and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Great. then a great section of scripture. It's just so, so powerful and so well is woven together. So... In this, uh, in this section, as I said last week, Paul uses this slave analogy. That's kind of that's harsh for us, because that's not a, a common way to make anything commendable. Yet, he's using this in reference to something that we have toward God. And so he's making spiritual point out of something that we consider um, evil, despicable, um, unacceptable. But he's not talking about the bondage of people under people. He's talking about our relationship to God as one without a will. And that's the essence of what a slave was. Someone whose will, their their total freedom has been taken away, and they have no will of their own. They can't do what they want. They have to do what someone else commands them to do or leads them to do or makes them do. And so this relationship is how Paul is developing these points um, moving away from just talking about the law, because the, the Jews that were there, they could understand bondage to the law. Some of them still liked it. They liked be in bondage to the law. And you can read that in, in Paul's letter to, to the Romans. You can read it in his letter to the Ephesians. You can read it in his letter to the Galatians. Um, there are some of them that really liked that, because why? What? would bondage to the law. What would we the benefit of that? Self righteousness that you can wear a badge, I can do these things. Look at me. Whereas grace takes all of that away. You can't boast in yourself because you didn't do anything. And so this is not of you at all. So the Jews could understand Paul's teachings concerning the law that God has done away with your self effort. And now it is all his free gift. But now wanting to express that to the Gentiles, he turns to this analogy of slavery. And so this point is speaking to those who are familiar with this. Whether you are a freeborn person in Rome, you still understand slavery because you probably got them. And if you were a slave, then you understand this. If you were a an exile, you've escaped from from the bondage of your slave master, and you're hiding in the shadows and the alleyways and the catacombs of Rome, you understand this even more, because death hangs over your head. And you understand this bondage, that you are not free, even though you are out of the chains, you're still not free. And to to the class of slaves that were... Uh, in this empire you were born into slavery you're a slave now that was never the pattern in Israel though Israel did have and entertained slaves and you go back to the law yes there were places where the slaves but slaves were basically of two categories to the Jewish people number 1 you were in debt you owed somebody for something you couldn't pay for you couldn't pay your land you couldn't keep these things up so somebody gave you the money, and you become enslaved to them. That's one of the forms of slavery. But the other form of slavery was captives. If you conquered some places, those people became your slaves. But what what was written within the law? Every seven years they could release them. No, every jubilee. Every 50 years. Every 50 years, all the slaves were free. And that 50 years was a set time. And so if somebody, somebody indentured themselves to you, you bailed them out, you, you bought out their debt, whatever, in the 43rd year, they only owed you seven years. If it was the 49th year, <laughs> they only owed you one. Because in that 50th year, the set year, not, not 50 years of their time, but 50 years, they're all set free. So every 50 years that freedom was given. And once free, they were no longer slaves. Children in Israel who were born uh, to slaves were not slaves. And so this was a different pattern, even though it is still, owning a person is still despicable. But what's Paul trying to say from this? What he's talking about is the will. They can't do what they want. No matter what the reason, For them, being in slavery is. Whether it's financial, or whether it's through captive war, whether it's from buying somebody or just trading in the marketplace, they still have no will. These are people with no will. Well, that's how Paul wants you to understand your bondage to sin. You were born of Adam, and you're a slave to sin. And there's nothing you can do about it. Well, I can exercise my my strength and my self fortitude and I can not do these things. Yeah, but you're still in bondage to sin because no matter what you do, you're still a slave. And there's nothing that can change that. Unless you what? Unless you die. You gotta die. The only way out was death. Well, what happened? Jesus died and those of us who believe in him are what dead, like dead in him right. so that old nature that we were that was in bondage to sin is dead that's that's over and since that's dead which is how he's going to start actually the next chapter chapter 7 he goes into that whole analogy once that is gone you're not in bondage anymore cuz you're dead And so dead men can't be slaves. slaves. Just the way it is. But what do we get from this? We died, but then we didn't stay dead. Because we died in Christ, we also get to what? Be raised in Christ. (laughs) We're made alive in Christ. We're raised up together and ascended and see. Seated on the right hand of God. So Paul's going to declare all kinds of things that are ours now. We, we've been raised to walk in a new life. Not that old one, but this one. The thing is, the power of the old self is gone. But the person of the old self is still there. And so it's there. They didn't cease to exist. It's still there. So what are you going to do? Are you going to follow it, which is like dragging a dead body around? Or are you going to follow this new life that's been given to you? So, this is how Paul presents this. Bottom of your first page, you were dead. You were dead. That's where you were. In trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world... Following the prince of the power of the air. It's not like you do about it. You were going to follow him because this is what you had. Didn't have a will of your own. So if he went, you went, if he quitted, you did it. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, And we're by nature children of wrath. Why children of wrath? Because that's where you're going to end up. Because you couldn't do anything about that sin. What about all those Jews who believed the law? Where were they going to end up? Children of wrath. wrath. Well, they did the law. Didn't change their nature. They did the law, but it didn't change who they were. Because by the law shall no flesh be justified. So you, even if, even if you followed the law, you weren't made alive. They needed something, they needed somebody to redeem them. And so through faith, we believed in Jesus Christ, who came to be this substitute, this Messiah. And through faith, we received two things, justification and reconciliation, and sanctification. We received justification and sanctification. And we are free of that satanic power, free to make a choice to serve God and to serve righteousness. Notice I said free, not made to. Even though we're slaves of God, we are not made to. I'll show you that as we continue through this study. So, the choice is to become a slave of righteousness, and this is the essence of what sanctification really is. So we talk about sanctification, or as some might say, being made holy, because that comes from the same word. Being made holy. Being made holy. There is a sanctification that's yours at the new birth, that's the inner man, but the real part of sanctification is what's lived out here, what's lived on the outside. So I put this little chart together to show some of these principles uh, this is the top of your page, too. And so this chart shows the distinction between justification and sanctification. So the comparisons down the line here are the purpose and the process of justification sanctification, the application, and the duration. So let's look at the column. Uh, The green column under justification. The purpose of justification is instantly to be declared righteous. Instantly. The split second you believe, you're made righteous. Made righteous. God declares you righteous in in his image. All of those things are gone. Righteousness means right standing. And you've been placed into a place of right standing with God. There is no separation between you and God. Why? Because there's not only only justification, there's reconciliation. God has taken away everything that divided you from him. Not him from you, you from him. And so God has removed in reconciliation the things that divided you, and in faith you believed and were justified, instantly made righteous. Brought into that right standing. Now you go across to the sanctification, the blue side. With sanctification, you're gradually made holy. Instantly made righteous, gradually made holy. Why? Because we're not talking about the inner man in sanctification. We're talking about the outer man. So let's go back to the next point. Under justification, the objective, it's judicial, it's legal, it's positional. When you're made righteous, it's a, it's a judgment of God. It is a judicial decision. And who's the judge? God is. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Well, I don't think you're righteous. I don't care what you think. If I believed in Jesus Christ, I'm righteous. Why? Because God said so. Yeah, but you haven't done this and sometimes you do that and it's just not up to you to tell me I've been instantly decared, declared righteous. It's legal. It's codified. It's it's everything that God has determined to be right. And it's positional. It's something that God has done to put you in this position it has nothing to do with your outward expression. It has nothing to do with what is Uh, is is existing outwardly, has everything to do with what is unseen in the spiritual realm, it's positional. Now, when we talk about sanctification, justification is objective, sanctification is subjective. In other words, it's up to you. Sanctification, to, to the great degree, depends on you it's experiential. It means you experience this in your life. It is something that you can hear, you can see, you can touch, and so can others. You can't see my justification, but I should be able to see your sanctification. Sanctification is out here. It's the things that you do outwardly. And so it is progressive. It means you start. And you grow. Now I know in certain places people are declared saints. Well, in God's mind you were declared a saint the day you got born again. Because your inner creation, your inner man, your inner person is made holy. But the outer person? uh, That's growing. That's changing. That's progressive. So, sanctification is something that progresses. Some days, under some circumstances, you may appear more sanctified than you do on other days. Don't think of anybody else. Just think of yourself. All right? Because sanctification is out there, and it's open to other people's mm, evaluation, not judgment. Their evaluation. And maybe their interpretation. Whereas justification is positional, sanctification is temporal. That means it's in this life. Justification is in another realm, it's in the realm of the spirit. Sanctification is in the realm of the natural, the practical. Number four, Christ's righteousness is imputed to you. Justification, you receive the righteousness of Christ. You are made righteous in him. And so you are declared righteous by God, and the righteousness you receive is his, not yours. Because you're in Christ, you have his righteousness. So that is something that is imputed. It's written down It's marked on the ledger. God sees it. It's done. Why? What did you do to receive? You believed. That's all you did. You believed. In sanctification, Christ's holiness is imparted to you. That means it's worked out. It's imparted. You can, you can... Live a holy life. Peter said, writing, you know, the voice of God, be holy, for I, your God, am holy. So be holy. He didn't say you are holy. He said be holy. He's talking about the outward man. Now when Paul talks about the inward man, he also he mentions the fact that your inner creation was made holy. So the inner being is holy. But is your mouth. Okay, I'll just move on from that. Um, You know, are your attitudes, your desires, your emotions. So those things are all involved in working out this holiness that God has placed on the inside. And we'll see how that comes in just a little bit. Justification is Instant instantly removes guilt and penalty it's done over you have believed in jesus christ there is no guilt your sin has been removed all the penalty has been removed and so those who are righteous will never come into judgment jesus said that and so you will never face judgment these are points, again, I can't build all of this. Some of it was in the early chapters. Holiness, on the other hand, sanctification gradually removes sins. The word I picked up for one of my commentaries was pollution. I added the word control. It, it removes sin's pollution. Because even though I was declared righteous, there's some of that pollution that's still there. It needs to be filtered out. Right? And so the uh, the water is just a little cloudy. Right. It's, so it's it's something that's there, sends pollution and it's control. There are things that many of us have gone gotten control of in our life. They they don't even tempt us any longer. Don't even try us. There's other things, don't volunteer anything that we're still working out. And I think we could all say that without mentioning anything. Justification. Here's one point. Final point under justification is what does not change your character. Justification does nothing for your character. It doesn't change it. It might be the access to change it, but how does that happen? Sanctification. It is sanctification that has influence upon your character. And so uh, this gradual transformation of our character, and it depends upon what? Prayer, communion with God, meditating in his word, that we are transformed, listening to one another, helping one another, encouraging, maybe teaching, maybe correcting one another. This, this is gradually worked out in our life. We may look to other people to help me through this. Make, maybe there's situations, if you found somebody who said, I want you to make me accountable in this area of my life. And there are people that do this. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because you're calling to somebody else to say, help me get control over this. Right? But righteousness, that was instant. And it didn't change your character at all. Now, the application. In justification, all believers share the same legal standing, the same positional standing. Every believer has the same justification. There's no more, no less. There's one right standing with God. Everyone who believes gets it. They don't know much about the Bible. It doesn't change one thing. Not as far as justifications. It doesn't change anything. They never picked up a Bible. They never read a Bible. Well put yourself back there with the first century Christians in, Because they didn't either. But they were what? Righteous. Saved. Yes. They were made righteous. They are declared righteous. Though they have no knowledge of these things. All they did is believed. Now when it comes to their sanctification, that's another question. Because the only way we can grow in sanctification is through communion with God, communion with His Word, meditating in His Word, listening to those who teach His Word, just reading it yourself. And so these are principles that help us with uh, sanctification. All believers have the same justification, but every believer is at varying stages of growth. So we're all at varying stages. And I would say probably some of us have experienced retrograde. We're growing and then not so much, and then a little bit more, and then not so much. So again. Maybe that's not you, but you know people that have that problem. The duration, justification, one single instantaneous, once and for all act, never repeated. You're justified once and for all. It's over, it's done. It can't be lost, it can't be changed, it can't be corrupted, it can't be removed, it cannot be taken away. You are justified once and for all. Justification. Being brought into right standing with God. Sanctification, on the other hand, is a continual process of gradually transforming. Some people move faster, some people not as much. Don't evaluate to, instance judge other people at where they are. Help them. Share with them how you gained control over something in your life. Don't judge one another. Everybody is gradually transforming. We're all gradually maturing. We're not all the same age. Some of us are younger. I'll stop with that. We're gradually maturing, just like we are in the Lord. And we're advancing in our mature status. The more we study, some people faster, some people slower. And we're, what, producing testimony. Here's the last thing about sanctification. Sanctification produces a testimony. Justification, I can tell you I'm saved. But it's like the Amish farmer. young man came to him one day and said, Sir, I just want to ask you, are you saved? The Amish farmer looked at him and he said, well... I could tell you that I am but I might be lying I might be fooling you I might just want to get rid of you why don't you ask my wife ask my children ask my neighbors if they know I'm saved see justification can't be seen sanctification should be it should be transforming our life and it should be giving testimony all right so that's our little chart let's move now back to our scriptures verse 17 and 18 paul says but thanks be to god that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient come back to that word obedient it's a big word for this section have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Okay, so there's a lot in that. I'm going to start with the very first phrase, but thanks be to God. See, the source of any of this comes from God. Contrary to the bondage of Adam's sin, which you could do nothing about. You're born into this world and you're born with Adam's nature and there's nothing you could do about it, just like a child born into a family of slaves. there was they It wasn't their fault. They didn't do anything. If their slavery was because they owed a man a whole lot of money and now they're in debt to him, or if they were taken captive, it doesn't matter. The children are born, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren on down the line. They're just born into that, and there's nothing you could do about it. You had nothing to do with getting yourself there, and there's nothing you can do to get yourself out, except die. But contrary to that, this new life is different. You made a choice to believe. And when you believed, God did something. See, you didn't do anything to get yourself in bondage to sin, but you did one thing to bring yourself out. You believed in God. You believed the message of his Messiah. You believed the message of salvation that has come to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. You believed that his death and resurrection would bring life to you, that your sin would be removed. Varying degrees of what you knew when you got saved. But the truth is, you believed that God had done something. Is that right? That you had been saved, not by your own works, so you can't boast, but fully by Him. So thanks be to God, that even though I was once slave to sin, I am no longer because God did something. All I did was believe. All I did is heard a message, believed the message, and God justified me. Made me righteous. And I died in Christ, and I was raised in Christ. That fast, that quick. Over and done. But thanks be to God. So often, whether we're talking about prayer or whether we're talking about The teaching of the word, or whatever, it's almost like we leave God out. It's not your praying that got anything done. It's you asked God to do it, and God did it. Don't take God out of the picture. And when it comes to, I didn't get myself saved, I didn't do anything to be saved. I believed that God had done something through his son, and in that simple act of faith, God changed me. It's God who has saved me. But thanks be to him. I was reconciled. I was justified. I was redeemed. I am saved. I don't care which word of those words you use. It just all came, how? By faith. All of that was done. And that has removed me from the bondage of death and the power of the old self. Yet, Paul goes on, and those of you who were once slaves of sin, let's look at that phrase, were once. This is a very common Greek form, and the Greek form, I don't need to go into all of that, but the Greek form for this means there was a time in the past Okay, I want you to get this picture. There was a time in the past when you were put into bondage to sin. When was that? When you were born. You were born into there was you were put into bondage to sin. And the verb form that's used here means for a period of time in the past, you lived under that. And so this was progressive in the past. It's called an imperfect tense in the Greek. But what it means is it started, and it continued, and it continued, and it continued, and it continued. And And how long did that continue in your life? Till you were what? Till you believed in Jesus Christ. Till you were saved. Mm -hmm. Justified. Say it any way you want to say it. Redeemed. So until you were redeemed. So that period in the time, you were once slaves for that period. But then something changed. Whereas that existed and persisted in your past, something changed instantly. You were made righteous, removed from that, and transferred to life, instantly. And So there was a period of time that was there until it was stopped. And it had to be acted on from someone else because you couldn't stop it. So somebody had to change your condition. You believed and God changed it. All right. You had no control over neither the bondage nor the ending of it. You couldn't lessen it. You couldn't increase it. You were just there. You say, yeah, but I, I, I did pretty good things. I was a pretty good person. didn't change anything. You're still bound to hell. You may be the most wonderful, nice person in the world, but if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're bound to hell. Why? Because you are a sinner. It's, it's your character. It's what's in you. It's the very nature that needs to be changed. Not your actions. We'll work on your actions. That's called say it, sanctification. You say, working on your actions, working on your behavior, that's sanctification. We'll get there. But we first got to deal with getting you out. Out of the grave. (laughs) Into life. You were once slaves of sin. And then you were set free from sin. So you were slaves of sin, and then you were set free from sin. Which... The point being here is that this word doulos means that you were at one time committed to someone else's will, someone else's desires, someone else's purposes and plans. You were committed. You were doulos, a slave to sin. And then you were set free from sin. But somebody had to, what, set you free. You didn't set yourself free. Because a slave can't get himself out of slavery. This bondage to sin is, is they've taken sin and personified it. Notice he doesn't say bondage to uh, sexual lusts and bondage to lying or bondage to this thing or that thing. That's not the issue. He personified your bondage and called it sin. You were slaves to sin. Not this form of sin, or that form of sin, or this action, or that action, or this thought, or this process. No, you were bound to sin, as if sin was the master. And whatever sin said, you had to do. In the book of Romans, and especially in Galatians, top of your next page. In the book of Romans, and especially in the book of Galatians, Paul also relates this bondage as to the law. So here in Romans, in chapters what 2 through 5, he's spoken mostly about bondage to the law. In Galatians, he talks about that a lot. So if you have read Galatians chapters 2 through 4, uh, you find Paul talking a lot about the law, the law, the law. And he's using that because he's writing to a Jewish audience and he's talking about the issue that would affect them. And so this this idea of being bondage to the law. But the thing is, the law wasn't the problem. What was the problem? You. (laughs) You were the problem, not the law. The law's perfect. You were the problem. You couldn't do it. You couldn't keep it. Well, I kept it for... For a while, you know, I like to the image. I I, I use this when I was teaching in Leviticus. You know, you, get, you stand in line to offer your sacrifice. You've been waiting in line all day because there's a thousand people ahead of you, and there's just a, a couple priests offering, and so you waited in line. It didn't get very far, so you camped out overnight. So you're still in line the next morning, you know, and you're waiting and waiting, and you get a little bit closer. It takes you three days to get into the tabernacle because they can't take care of everybody all at once. And so finally you make it into the tabernacle, and you bring your sacrifice, and you say... The priest you, what's your problem? Well, I have this, this bitterness toward this neighbor of mine and, and this thing, and they've done this and all these things, and I have this bitterness in my heart, and I want to get rid of it, and so I want to pour that out, and so you can um, atone for my sin and tell me I'm forgiven. And the priest offers your sacrifice, sheds the blood, takes the blood, presents it, comes back and turns around to you and says, go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. You walk outside and the fifth person in line is that person. And they say, "So what are you here for?" And now you go to the end of the line and you start all over again. Because that sin was forgiven for about 3 minutes. And then you saw him and it's like, "I can't get past this." And now you're madder than ever because you're back in the same line that you're in before. That's the law. You couldn't do anything. It didn't change you. You could make every sacrifice you wanted, but it didn't change you on the inside. It was your, as I used this phrase before, it was your pig nature. (laughs) You just weren't acceptable. And that nature just comes out. But the law only had power because of your sin. Yes, the law pointed out your sin. And so Paul talks about bondage to the law. Bondage to the law. Bound to the law. Those who are in bondage to the law. Over and over he talks bondage to the law. Bondage to the law. But the problem isn't the law. The problem is you can't do it. And all the law did was what? Pointed out your sin. Not just, like I've told before, not just ten commandments. How many? 613 commandments. Not just ten. I'm good with ten. No, I'm not even good with ten. I'm not good with three, but you know, <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Okay, i broke it already. But six hundred and thirteen. There's no chance. The law's not the problem. Look at Romans chapter seven. It's in your notes there, top of page three. Romans seven, verse seven says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Say it is the problem of the law. If it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. Now, here's his point. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. I wouldn't have known that it was sin. But was it? Does not knowing that it's sin change the fact that it's sin? No. No. There's a whole bunch of those six hundred thirteen commandments. There's a whole bunch of those you you've never read. You got so tired reading through some of those things you just skipped over whole passages. Your mind just blinked out. Yeah, I read fifteen verses. I can't tell you one thing I read in all those verses because it's just da 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 da. So you read over it. You saw it, but it didn't change anything. You would have known. If I tell you, do not think of polar bears, 10 seconds ago, you weren't even thinking of polar bears. Now it's the only thing in your mind, and I've lost your attention. That's like the law. The law just said, this is sin. I didn't know that was sin. I just thought I was wanting my brother's stuff. That's sin. Really? Yeah. Cain, killing your brother is not a good idea. Really? I thought it was kind of a good idea. <laughs> but Cain realized it wasn't a good idea. So Paul goes on. I wouldn't have known. Verse, Romans chapter 7, look down to verse 10. Again there at the top of your third page. The very commandment that promised life proved death. It killed me. I thought the law promised life, it does. If you can obey the law, but you can't obey the law, so it promises death. Verse 11, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. But I was not. You have to add that. (laughs) But we'll talk about that. That's all in Romans chapter 7. We'll get there. All right, next point. All right, so the first thing was that we have what? We were once slaves, right? Now, the next point is having been set free. Having been set free. We were once slaves, but now having been set free. So this is in the second half of verse 17, the first half of verse 18. We have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin." And then he goes on. So you have become obedient from the heart. Remember we talked last week, and I'm sure you all have this, but I'll say it again. The Greek word for obedient is hupakuo, H-U-P-A-K-O-E. yeah. Hupakuo. Anyway, it's that. It's the root for our word acoustic, and it has to do with sound or voice. And so obedience meant to sit under someone else's voice. To submit yourself to someone else's voice. Now there's other Greek words for submit, but this word specifically means obey, means to submit yourself to what they say. We learn this a lot in the military. If the officer says it, you do it. I don't like his order. Doesn't change the fact he said it. Jan was an officer. I was enlisted. She told me to do. I had to do. <laughs> so it's like it's just it's 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 just there, and so under someone else's voice. Think of that in reference to the voice of sin. that speaks, and it commands you and so you are a slave to this voice of sin this is how it was you have become obedient from the heart you were obedient to sin but now you become obedient and i made that all capital letters because it's going to be an important point it's a main verb to which many of the other verbs are going to relate back all right this is just a greek structure system and so many of them relate back to this you have become obedient from the heart you're not just, listen, listen, I want you to get this. You're not just set free from sin, you have become obedient. That means not only have you been set free as a slave, you have now put yourself under someone else's voice. See, this is where that idea of bond slave comes in. Because you were set free from bondage to sin. But now you're a slave again? (laughs) What's that all about? No, this is a bond slave, because this is something you chose. And so you have become obedient. And becoming obedient means I'm now going to place myself under someone else's voice. It was the voice of the devil, my flesh, but the devil behind it. Now it's someone else's voice. Whose voice would that be? Whose voice have we now put ourselves under? Under the Lord Jesus Christ, under God the Father, under the Holy Spirit, right? So they all speak to us, isn't that right? God speaks to us. Jesus speaks to us. The Spirit speaks to us, right? We hear His voice. We are obedient. And so we have placed ourselves under His voice. I read the Word of God. The Word speaks to me. I listen to someone preach or teach, and as they're teaching the word, the voice speaks to me. I put myself under that voice. That's the submission. That's that commitment. I become obedient. Now notice what else he says. It's not just obedient. This is, in the Greek language, an aorist active verb, which means I once and for all did this. It's sincere. I didn't just kind of become obedient. It's like, Lord, you say it, I will do it. And that's, that's my commitment. I become obedient. It's not casual. It's not just off the cuff. It's not, well, maybe I will, maybe I won't. No. I become obedient. And so Paul is speaking here in the strongest of terms. Now, I would like to say that I would imagine that most of us would say, I become obedient. What's my next phrase? Most of the time. Do you always? Do you always follow his voice? Have you always listened to his voice? See, I, I want it to be more than sometimes. <laughs> I like it to be more than part of the time. I'd really like to be more than most of the time. It'd be wonderful if it was all of the time, but that's my goal. But where Paul is setting here, he's setting a really high bar. You have become obedient. So he's setting this as if someone has been totally 100% there. Alright? Hundred percent there. You have become obedient. And what are you obedience? From the heart. Again, this is not just empty words. Oh yeah, I'll I'll do what the Lord tells me to do. You know that I'm drowning, God, if you get me out of this, I'll do whatever God gets you out, and you go your way. Okay. Right? You made it you made a deal, but you're not with it. Now, what, what kind of commitment is this? You made a commitment to become obedient to the standard of teaching. This is a f- strange phrase that Paul uses here because it's, it has to do with a, a form of doctrine or a set pattern of teaching that will lead you to mastery. That's what the Greek words mean, the form of doctrine or a set pattern of teaching that will lead you to mastery. How I many I want to be masters of your life? I want to be a master of, of my life. I want to be a master of the things that, that are before me. I, I, I want to strain for mastery. Paul talks about that. He talks about the athlete, straining for mastery. I, I want to be one of those who's really pushing to make the most. I don't want to just run the race. I want to win the race. Straining for mastery. And so, I place myself, obedience, to a standard of teaching that will lead you to mastery. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, he says, I want you to follow the pattern of sound words which you heard from me. Follow the pattern of sound words. The Greek word for pattern there means a mold. How many ladies so? So you use a use a pattern when you sew? Yeah. You don't just sit down and cut some garments and decide you're going to sew them together and make a dress, right? You better have a pattern, right? How many like to cook? Right, Cooking, right? You better follow a pattern. It's like, well, I don't know, an egg, egg some flour, some milk, you know, just put it all together. Got to make a cake. I don't want your cake. <laughs> you didn't follow the pattern, right? I want I want something who follows the pattern. Um, you know, so I used this in my preaching the other day. this is this is the master's manual. this This is the pattern. This is the pattern. Yet there's some of those parts in here that we haven't really. I mean, we've read them because we read all the Bible, but we really haven't read them for understanding, for commitment. So we need to follow this pattern of sound words. The word for sound there is the Greek word for healthy. The Greek word is hugiano, change the U to a Y. We get the word hygienic, right? Hugiano, healthy, healthy words. God's words are healthy. In other words, just like food that is healthy will impart what? Health. (laughs) Right? But if it's infected, it will impart disease. Right? So I want healthy words. And so you follow this pattern of healthy words. And then he makes this next statement. To which you were committed. All right. So you have followed the standard of teaching you become obedient to follow the standard of teaching to which you have been committed i'm going to have to end my session with this but this is a this is a powerful statement that paul makes here to which you have been committed the greek word really means to which you have been delivered it's not an active voice it's a passive voice you were you have been delivered to this in other words when you became alive in Christ, when he recreated your inner being, you are created in righteousness and holiness, he placed his treasure inside of you. We have this treasure in what? Earthen vessels. Earthen vessels. Right? And so this treasure is all the things that God would have us to do with our life. I know that this is the written word. But have you not read James? Where he says it's a what? It's a mirror. It's a mirror. This word is already written in my inner man. say, okay, that's a little bit too metaphysical, Jeff. (laughs) I'm not really getting that. Why do you look in a mirror? To see how nice you look, right? it's like you check yourself out you walk by a mirror you do a little sideways glance yeah I'm looking good feeling pretty healthy you know you look in the mirror make sure you don't have any broccoli in your teeth you know you make sure your hair is in place because if something's out of place you want to do what? you want to correct it well James says that this this mirror this the word is like a mirror which we look into and we should look into this mirror to adjust ourselves, not just to see who we are in Christ. That's in here. How I many look at? It, right. Mm-hmm. We've used the Bible to look in here to see who we are in Christ, yeah. yep. but we also look in here to see what I'm doing wrong, or what I need to fix. Yeah. Oh, I don't. No, no, I'm not doing that. Well, you better, because you got broccoli in your teeth, sir, and you need to get it out. <laughs> right. So, this is this is God's word. So. His word has been, James says, engrafted in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. The word engrafted means it's already there. That's James 1.21, I believe. Receive with meekness the word that has already been grafted into you. It's already there. Where are you receiving it? If it's already there, where am I receiving it? Into my head, my thinking into my will into my purposes and my plans i am receiving with meekness what god has put in here you say yeah but isn't it isn't it in the bible yeah the bible is the mirror thank god he gave us a mirror early believers didn't have this mirror but they had what they had god on the inside God didn't say, well, you know, one of these days the Bible will be written and you'll be able to follow the things that God wants you to do, but I hope you get by there because it's not going to be for like 1,500 years. It's not going to happen in your lifetime, but bless you. No, it was here. Paul calls them to correction based upon something that's already on the inside of them. So I put some verses down here. We'll pick up with this in our next session. Titus chapter 2 says for for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people training us. The grace of God has appeared training us. Not the word of God has appeared the grace of God has appeared. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age. Paul wrote that to people who didn't have a Bible So where were they going to get that? From the inner man. From their inner being. I'm not saying, forget this Bible. No, I I need this to correct me to what is in here. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just guess. I want to know for sure. So he's given me a mirror so I can look at who I am and also what I'm doing. Yay or nay. Good or bad. Keep it, throw it away. Used to sort green beans that my dad would pick in his garden. Oh, I hated sorting green beans. (laughs) They had big bug things eaten out of them. It's like, eh, toss them over there. Eh, toss that one away. For me, take the whole bushel and dump them out. (laughs) Sort through. You're picking through. There's things in my life I need to Sort. sort out. Because there's good things and there's bad things. And I need to make sure that what I'm following is from God. Last couple verses. Just let me read these. The spiritual person judges all things. But is himself to be judged of no one on the outside. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? So you don't, you don't have the mind. You don't have the wisdom. You don't have the ability To correct God, let me say, yeah, I'm I'm God's advisor. By the way, I do know a man who believes that he is, but I'm moving on from that. But we have what? We have the mind of Christ. Now, where is that mind? It's not in my brain. I wish it was. I wish the brains of Jesus were up here. They're not. But the mind of Christ is where. My inner man. There's things I do that I know are wrong. I know it. If I've never even read it, I know it. You don't need to know what they are. (laughs) There's things I do that I know are right. Although maybe I've never read them. Because the mind of Christ is here. And so what Paul wants them to know is, listen, you've not just been raised with Christ You've been committed to His Word. So become obedient to that inner voice. And that's where we're going to build from chapter 7 through chapter 8. Be committed to that inner voice. You say, but I don't know what it's saying to me. Oh, but God has a helper. He's called the Holy Spirit. All right. That's it for tonight. Sorry went a little long